Let's look this evening at Jonah chapter 2. The Old Testament scriptures, the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Last week, we began to look at this book, looked at almost all of the first chapter. Tonight, then we'll make our way into the second chapter. Jonah chapter 2. I will read the the last verse of chapter 1, but depending on your edition of the Bible, they may have grouped verse 17 with chapter 2. That's how it's placed in the Hebrew Bible. Verse 17 really starts the next section. So beginning at chapter 1, verse 17, and reading all of chapter 2, let us hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Amen for the word of the Lord. Jonah is unique among the Old Testament prophets, as we noted last night, or last week, in that the book focuses more on the prophet than it does on his words. It tells the story of Jonah more than the message of Jonah. And in following the story of this prophet, what we've seen is, so far, it has been all downhill for Jonah. No sooner had God commissioned him to go to Nineveh when he ran in the opposite direction. He bound, he went down to Joppa and he bound a ship headed for Tarshish. And once on board, he went down below deck and he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. God chased after him, pursued him in the storm and in the foolish effort to still avoid God's commission, that he'd rather die in the ocean than go back and possibly go to Nineveh. He urged the sailors, throw me overboard. And once they did, he sank down into the ocean. Things are not looking good for Jonah. But while Jonah is not looking too good in our eyes, God is looking great. You see, despite Jonah running away, He hasn't actually escaped God's presence, despite God chased him in the storm and will be here in the fish. Despite the fact that the prophet is resisting God's call to go to Nineveh, God converted the pagan sailors. 
They offered sacrifice and called on the Lord's name. And despite Jonah's best efforts to avoid going to Nineveh, even if it means death, God rescues the prophet from drowning. He sends the great fish to swallow him. So, so far, this story has highlighted God's amazing grace. His irresistible power to apply that grace and the certainty of his gracious purposes to save undeserving sinners. If God purposes to save Nineveh, Jonah is going to get there, whether he likes it or not. Now, as we come to tonight's passage, those themes continue. We'll see particularly God's grace to Jonah in this chapter. These verses record the story of Jonah's three days and nights in the belly of the fish. And they focus on the prayer he offered to God during that time. Now, my guess is Jonah prayed a whole lot during the three days and three nights. And we've got the condensed summary form here in Jonah chapter 2. But this gives you an idea of how he called out to the Lord during that dark time. So let's go through the passage together, and then we'll draw some conclusions at the end. As I mentioned already, chapter 2 really begins at the end of chapter 1, verse 17, we read, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Despite Jonah's attempt to escape from God, once again, God is actually one step ahead of Jonah. He has already prepared a fish to swallow him and prevent him from drowning. So we see God's sovereign power in that the right fish was in the right place at the right time to swallow this disobedient prophet. The fish also then highlights God's grace. Now, we often present this part of the story as God's discipline. Because Jonah ran away, God made him spend three days and three nights in the belly of the fish until he agreed to go to Nineveh. Now, there is an element of discipline here. Obviously, Jonah has not been doing what God wants to do, and God is not sending him anything pleasant in any sense of the term. We'll highlight the discipline idea later. But it's interesting, what does the fish accomplish? It rescues Jonah from drowning. And the prayer reflects that, that he wanted to die until he started to sink, and then God mercifully saved him. So the fish is an instrument of mercy. Mercy towards Jonah to save his life. Mercy for Nineveh to guarantee that he arrives with the gospel message. So Jonah hits the water, and as the prayer reflects, after a time of sinking, the fish swallows him. And once inside the fish's belly, Jonah prays for three days and three nights. Now, by the way, that's really powerful imagery for us on this side of the resurrection. We know how Jesus appealed to Jonah as a type of his own three days of death, before God raised him from the dead. Again, I want to highlight that too before we close. I think the reader, the first readers of the story, though, not seeing the resurrection in that way yet, they would probably think of those three days and three nights as that's about as long as you can survive inside the belly of a fish before you die. 
So God is going to bring Jonah to the very brink of death, and then God will deliver him. Again, both discipline, but also mercy. Now, as we come into chapter 2, we read, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Then beginning at verse 2 and going until verse 9, we are given the content of the prayer. That's what we will focus on. The opening verse, verse 2, gives the theme of the prayer, and then the prayer will build towards its climax in verses 8 and 9. So that's just kind of your structure. Theme in verse 2, building up to verses 8 and 9. So what is the prayer about? What does he focus on in his prayer? Well, simply, it is a prayer of thanksgiving. Before Jonah was thrown overboard, this was his mindset. I want to die. I want to escape this commission that God has given me. I want to escape the hard providence that has come my way. Maybe he's even thinking, you know, I deserve to die. I ran away. There's no hope for me. There's no mercy for me. Whichever it is, as soon as Jonah hits the water, he changes his mind and begins to cry out to God for deliverance. We'll see that because of how Jonah describes his distress in the content of the prayer. So the point is this. Once Jonah's life was on the line, then he wanted to experience God's grace. So at first he wanted to run from grace. He didn't want to be an instrument of grace. He didn't want to tell others about God's grace. He'd rather die than do so. But once he hits that water, he changes his mind. Look at the opening line of the prayer, verse 2, both the opening line and the summary. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. By the way, that line echoes Psalm 121, and I won't list them all out, but, but most of the lines of Jonah's prayer find a corresponding line in one of the Psalms. He knew those Psalms, and he prayed those Psalms, and he used them to shape his prayer here in the belly of the fish. So as he begins to make this prayer... He refers back to the distress he experienced as he began to drown after being thrown overboard. And he recounts how he called to the Lord in his distress and how from that distress or out of that distress, God delivered him. Again, God prepared a fish to rescue him. And now that God has rescued him, he gives thanks inside that place rescue. Notice, in fact, again, still in verse 2, he refers to calling for help from deep in the realm of the dead. And the phrase realm of the dead translates the Hebrew word sheol, and it can refer to the grave or even just more generally to the afterlife. You see similar language in verse 6, where he says, I sank to the roots of the mountains and God brought up my life, or brought my life up from the pit. So in other words, Jonah is recognizing that having hit the water, I'm drawing closer and closer to death. The farther down I go, the nearer I get to death. 
and the realm of the dead. In fact, verse 3 expands, gives us more detail. He says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So before Jonah praises God for his deliverance, he recognizes God's hand even in his distress. He says, you hurled me into the depth. This isn't a complaint. This is a recognition God was behind everything. I mean, humanly speaking, you threw Jonah overboard. The sailors did. Jonah asked them to do so, but he recognizes, reflecting back on that, ultimately, the whole turn of events was from the Lord, and it was in order to rescue Jonah from himself. So sometimes when you reflect back on mistakes and even times when you've just genuinely done wrong, sins, you know, we can say, why did I do that? Have I messed things up? Have I just totally wrecked God's plan for my life? Even over evil, God stands sovereign, the ultimate agent who will work those things for his gracious purposes. So God hurled Jonah into the depths. And when Jonah says here, you sent me down into the heart of of the seas. He's basically depicting himself as going down to the very bottom. Jonah's going down into the waters and the currents are swirling around him, riptides in the flow of the ocean. The waves and the breakers, the mighty waves that God has sent are sweeping over the prophet. Verse 4 then reflects Jonah's despair of life, his feeling of estrangement from God the source of life. He says, I have been banished from your sight. I have been expelled from your attention. This is Jonah's state as he sinks lower, banished from God. He wanted to run from God. He wanted to die. But now as he sinks lower, he regrets this estrangement from God. You know, water can be a, a scary thing. We teach our kids how to swim. We, we try to practice water safety. But even sometimes when you're very alert, uh, you can feel very helpless in the presence of water. So we, when we went on vacation earlier this year, we went to Beaufort, and we were in the water. And there are all these warnings about, you know, watch for the riptides, had a really strong current that would pull you to the right. So we were very conscious, trying to be very alert and, and practice all this safety. But the shoreline was such where the further you went to the right, the shoreline went back. So think of like a curved shoreline. So if you're going to the right in the water, you're actually going out deeper. Even though you're not going out, you're just going to the right. So one day we're out there doing boogie boarding and we're floating on the boards in order to get a good wave. And without realizing it, we drifted right. So as soon as I realized that, I said, well, we got to get back in. And so I started to paddle in with, with one boy with me, and all of a sudden you could just feel the fact that the current was trying to pull you out. And it was the time of day where the tide was starting to go out. And it felt like you'd, you'd paddle in on the wave and get about three feet up, and then the tide would go out and you'd go about four feet back. And I'm not going to lie, friends, I don't know how long I was in that instance, but there was a moment there I was like, I am not gaining on the shore. What am I going to do if this situation does not change? Now, again, mercifully, you know, what do they tell you? Swim out of it, go, yep, everything worked out. It was only a minute, really, there uh, where it was distressing. But, you know, that feeling of being overwhelmed was really upsetting. I mean, it took hours to kind of calm down from that event. 
Can you imagine Jonah here? Going down deeper and deeper and just feeling like, I'm done. And regretting what he's done. Realizing that he's made a mistake and crying out to God for mercy. Well, a flash of hope emerges there at the end of verse 4. Where in his distress, Jonah says, Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Similar language in verse 7. Now, why does Jonah say, I look toward the temple? Is he superstitious and believes, well, you got to pray in a certain direction and, and do things just this way? No. The temple unites heaven and earth. The temple is where God sets his foot. He sits on the throne of all creation, but he puts his foot there in the temple, some scriptures say. And it's the idea that heaven and earth overlap there. God manifests his presence in the temple. So looking to the temple is looking to God. I look to where you are, God. I look towards your presence. And even in saying that from the bottom of the ocean, it's a way of saying, and God, I know you can be here too. Because you fill heaven and earth. I'm not near the temple, Jonah is saying. But I'm going to look that way because I know, God, you are still available. Even though I am so far from you. God is the God of heaven and he's accessible to all who call upon him in repentance and faith. Jonah looks to the temple because that's the place of mercy and he begs God to receive it. His distress continues though for a few more verses. In verse 5 he says, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Almost reminds us of the opening verses of Genesis, where empty darkness was over the surface of the deep. The deep is beginning to surround Jonah, even starting to talk about seaweed here, wrapping around his head. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. So he's, he's giving this images of the, the bars or the gates of the netherworld, you know, the, the very bottoms of the mountains and, and basically the underworld opening up to swallow me and imprison me forever. But as we come to the end of verse 6, the theme of deliverance and thanksgiving begins to develop. You see, despite Jonah's near imprisonment in the water and death in the sea, he says that you, O Lord, you, O Lord, brought me up from the pit. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Ebbing away there is the idea of he was starting to lose his senses. He was starting to lose hope. He was starting to lose life. And losing consciousness, he feels the it's all slipping away. But even in those moments, he cries out to the Lord. In fact, it says there, I remembered you, Lord. And it doesn't mean Jonah had forgotten about the Lord. Oh yeah, maybe I should ask God for help here. No, the word remember encompasses calling to mind God's character, remembering his past actions, and on the basis of that, appealing for help. God, this is who you are. This is how you act. So do that now. The God of then is the God of now. He knows what God is like, that he's gracious, and now that he feels that need for mercy, he cries out to God for deliverance. He's gone down to the depths, but he appeals to God for mercy. And so verses 8 and 9 then conclude and give us the high point of the prayer. At the seeming last minute of Jonah's life, 
God intervenes and rescues him from drowning. God shows mercy. And these two verses give us Jonah's response to God's salvation. Just as he was about to die, God rescued him. And so look at verses 8 and 9 as they contrast one another. In verse 8, Jonah refers to those who cling to worthless idols, those who do not know or worship the one true and living God. They cling to empty worthlessness, worthless vanities. Think Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities. And Jonah recognizes that those who cling to worthless idols, they turn away from God's love for them. They reject God's love for them, and so they reject their responsibility to obey God in a word, they forsake God. Because they forsake God, they look to something else to save them. You know, the irony is that despite Jonah's orthodox profession, remember in the previous chapter he said, I worship the God who made heaven and earth. He acted like a foolish idolater, didn't he? And that he ran from God. He didn't obey the God he professed to serve. He didn't seem to think the God of heaven and earth would find him and deal with him in his flight. But now he's learned. That's no way to live. I don't want to live as if God isn't truly the God of heaven and earth. That's how idolaters live. This is what it leads to. And so in verse 9, he says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Now Jonah begins to act like the sailors at the end of chapter 1. He fears, praises, makes vows to God, and gives himself in obedience to God. He has run from God, but now God has delivered him. And so in his repentance and thanksgiving, he says, okay, I will go and do what you have called me. And by the way, I don't want to set you up for disappointment. He's far from perfect. Chapter 4 will once again highlight Jonah's continuing imperfections. But having tasted rebellion, he now experiences salvation. He experiences the delivering, rescuing grace of God. And so he'll go and tell the rebellious Ninevites the good news of a gracious God. And let me give you three observations, conclusions to this chapter. Once again, God shows us his amazing grace. Before Jonah had even run from God, God had prepared the fish. It wasn't that Jonah ran and God said, I better find a fish. The fish was ready. Jonah was heading towards what God had planned and God was ready to intercept him. Jonah wanted to run. Jonah wanted to die. God wanted him to live. And so God prepared the fish to rescue him from drowning and then to rescue his heart, to rescue him from himself. Jonah didn't deserve it, but God saves the undeserving. Jonah should have known better. He was a preacher, a prophet. God saves those and gives mercy to those who should know and act better. He shows mercy to those who spurn multiple chances. And when God purposed that the Ninevites would hear the gospel, he said, Jonah will be the one to get the message to them. So God is gracious. But secondly, Jonah does show us the folly 
of disobedience. The fish is an agent of mercy, but it's an agent that rescues Jonah from what? Death. A Jonah, a death brought on by Jonah's rebellion. Basically, friends, the fish teaches Jonah a lot, but try to learn what you need to learn before you end up in that kind of situation. Because what Jonah experienced was near death. God brought him to the very brink of death before rescuing him. And while Jonah was rescued in the valley, again, I can't imagine it was a pleasant three days and three nights. Don't run that far where it takes such discipline to bring you back. Don't presume on that mercy that it will always be there. And those don't cancel each other out. They're just the tension of the Christian life. God is overwhelmingly merciful, but do not presume on that mercy. Now, the good news is, in the end, God's mercy and grace trumps disobedience. So despite Jonah's best attempts to run, grace triumphs. But what is it again that grace triumphs? It triumphs over sin and rebellion. And if we pursue sin and rebellion, we'll be merciful. Uh, excuse me, we'll be miserable. So when you run from God and God pursues you, the quicker you listen, the better. So thirdly then, and finally, uh, my third observation, just the simplicity of restoration. Did you notice how Jonah summarized his prayer in verse 2? I called to the Lord, and he answered me. It is just that simple. It may have been a hundred miles in the area of disobedience. It was one step back to the God of mercy. The prodigal son ran into that far country and said, I've got to go all the way back and become a servant. No, the minute his father saw him, he ran to the son. Such is the merciful restoration of our God. It doesn't require complex learning. It doesn't require great words. It's so simple a child can do it. And it's so profound that we'll spend our whole lives learning to appreciate God's mercy more and more. It's not a 12-step program to earn our way back into God's favor. It's merely availing ourselves of such amazing, unlimited, powerful grace. And how, by the way, then does the chapter M, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah repented and the fish spat him out. Having learned his lesson, God restored him to his mission and restored him to the land of the living. And by the way, if we ask ourselves, why does God show us mercy like this. Well, that's where we come to the connection with Jesus. Because just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights for our salvation. Jonah went to the brink of death. Jesus died. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross to free us from this folly and rebellion. And so we revel in that love and mercy and trust in that grace. So let's give thanks this evening. Father, once again, we do thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So as we have considered the story of Jonah tonight, we would simply pause and praise, thank, and adore you 
for the mercy you show us as sinners. Lives that we can reflect on areas of sin, yet where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And grace rescued us, and grace transformed us. So as our worship this evening, we give praise to you for that. We give thanks to you for that. We acknowledge that as your great deed. And that makes you great. That makes you glorious. That pleases you to have the thanks and praise of your people. So we pray, forgive us for ongoing sin. Change us. Produce spiritual fruit in us. Send us out now to live by grace, to be agents of mercy, to be mercy showers, to be those who delight in mercy, to be those who would share the good news of mercy. Wherever we may be this week, working or in retirement, whatever vocation you've given us, students or pastors or uh, husbands and mothers and fathers or whatever task you give us, help us to go and do it well for your glory and to do it by the mercy of the Lord. Keep us all safe this week, I pray. Show mercy to those in need. Maybe regather in a week again, having lived by and celebrated your mercy. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.